All right, lass. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Not by gadge. <laughs> Are you on drugs? Well, that's something in Scottish. It's no, nothing no in gadge. Scottish. I, I, Okay, I stop offending the land of my <laughs> birth. What am I trying to say? It's the thing that you You're trying to say good evening, everybody. <laughs> I beg your pardon, my wife is having a stroke. <laughs> Mrs. Jones, how are you? Good. Are you slightly jet lagged? Mm, I'm um, underprivileged in the sleep department. <laughs> you are below the poverty line. I'm below the poverty line. We are recording this. From a quaint little cottage just outside of Dundee in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And if it sounds different from our normal podcasts, that's simply because we're using our mobile podcast studio, which consists of the sketchiest setup <laughs> you have ever seen in your life. You don't even want to know. AJ Jones, tell everybody how we ended up in Scotland. Start with last Wednesday when everything was normal. Last Wednesday, we had a wonderful breakfast with Krista and Luke and as we were leaving there we received a phone call um about Alan's mum and so basically it by uh an hour or so later we had the information that his mom really only had two to three weeks to live at the very most and we needed to be headed towards Scotland and what was weird about that is you say that like that all came out in a linear fashion. But it, no, it didn't. It really didn't. And from speaking to lots of our medical <laughs> friends, they were like, yeah, you probably need to get over there sooner rather than later. So not knowing what we're facing, we tried to book flights to get over here. But there was two tiny little problems, AJ. What were those? Um, expired passports, both mine and <laughs> Tia's. And apparently you need a passport when traveling from one country to another. That's what they say, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, again, this is all linear, but it wasn't linear at the time. We just thought, no problem. And so Tia's got an American passport. You have a Canadian passport. Mm -hmm. But we thought we could kill two birds with one stone. We'll look up the consulate in Atlanta. Oh, there's a U.S. passport office in Atlanta. This should be great. But then when we read the small print, the time for both of them for an expedited passport was eight days, eight business days. That was for Tia's. And for Canada? Well, they were saying 21 days, but... um, But what was expedited? 21 days. Really? Yeah. So our first problem was... We didn't have 21 days. (laughs) (laughs) The second problem is you can't even make an appointment at either of those places without having booked travel. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. You need a passport in order to travel, but they expect you to have your travel booked to confirm that you actually need the passport. So, on the advice of a very smart friend, we booked 100% fully refundable tickets and then cancelled them the day later so we could get into the consulate. And you saw Canada, and what did they say to you? Well, um, when I talked to the lady at the Canadian consulate, like I called Thursday morning as soon as they opened, and she said, if you could get here today, um, you know, you'd need to get here by 2.30, which meant I had an hour to go from, oh, I had no idea how to get everything ready to getting the forms, getting passport photos, and getting on the road, and also getting TIA and getting packed. And and what we thought was, well, we'll make appointment at the U.S. consulate the following day, on Friday, or, or maybe the same day, 
to try and on Thursday to try and get Tia passport. And so we thought, we'll just get Tia some passport photos. But upon reading the website closely, they said, no, 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 the child needs to be present. So that added a complication. And they said, both parents have to be present. And I was like, ah, how's that going to work? But if both parents can't be there, you need a signed affidavit and buy a, what's it called? Notary Republic. A a notary republic? Oh, I don't know. Notary (laughs) Some sort of person. I think Notary Republic is that hip indie band from Atlanta. (laughs) For a signed Notary Republic. So amazingly enough, within an hour, (laughs) we had all of that taken care of. And you drove through to Atlanta while I spoke. At speeds. While I spoke to our, you know, friends who were helping us book tickets and travel agents and trying to sort out tickets. Yeah. But the short version of a very long and stressful couple of days was well we we went and had our passport appointment for tea at like eight and then we had six hours to kill before we could go back and pick it up and so we went to the aquarium um in where were we atlanta and so the dolphin show is literally just about to start and a weird number comes through on my phone which i decide to pick up of course because i'm waiting for calls and it's this lady it's a different lady from the canadian consulate saying well you know, I can't believe this, but I think, you know, this, this is your passport. It's here, you know. So I started bawling at the beginning of the dolphin show. <laughs> I'm moved by the dolphins too. Y- yes, they were very moving. So even when I picked up my passport at the consulate, the ladies there, all of them, especially the reception lady was like, weren't you just here yesterday? And I said, yeah. And she said, and it's ready already. I've never seen that happen. I was like, I'm so thankful. So lots of little miracles along the way. You drove home Friday. We packed Friday night. We got on a plane Saturday morning at 8 and spent all day flying, got here Sunday. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fun thing about that was, without us planning it, we were on the same flight as my sister with their kids, our kids' cousins. Mm -hmm. And they were in the same, well, their row behind us. Yeah. So that was a nice touch from God. We got to Scotland and uh, Jill on Twitter had texted me or tweeted me and said, what do you notice different about Scotland? So, babe, what are the things you notice about Scotland that's different from, well, we shouldn't say Scotland and America. We should say, what do you notice different about Dundee and Franklin? That's a much better way of putting it. I'm not sure it's going to make any difference. Well, I don't want to suddenly say all the drive. For example, my first point is the drivers here are much nicer. But I don't want to say drivers universally in Scotland are better or nicer than drivers universally right, in America. But the Dundonian drivers certainly seem more very friendly. Very friendly. Always letting you merge. Always being very courteous. You should see what I did on the roundabout today, darling. I'm terrified about what we did on the roundabout. <laughs> you should be. Both your sisters screamed, <laughs> but we're fine, and nobody hit me. <laughs> anyway, yes, they're much nicer. <laughs> they are much nicer. The um, roads are so skinny. <laughs> we've actually we've we filmed a Jesus. hyperlapse of our drive from the cottage to the main road, and literally the road is wide enough for my car. Yeah, and so we just pray we don't meet anybody else. But we have we've met tour buses, we've met FedEx pickup tractor trailer units. Uh, it's just terrifying. People like just pull off on the side, practically up the side of the wall. Mm-hmm. To get out of the way, and then you slowly move by each other with a hair's breadth between you, and then they just keep going at 50 miles an I hour. I didn't know your hair's breathed. Yes, mine do. That's the noise at night when I'm trying to sleep? Yes, that just small little voice is going. Parking spots are terrifying. Oh, it, it, I parked so far away from the building today just because I wanted a spot that I could 
turn into without having to pray. Um, here's a big thing that's different, is you now have to pay for your own plastic bags at any store. Mm -hmm. So you go grocery shopping and they charge you per bag. And I thought maybe it was just that chain, but then we went to a clothes store and, you know, you're buying, I don't know, 50 pounds worth of stuff. And they're like, would you like a bag with that? And I'm like, yes, well, they charge you five pence more. So, and Can I, I just tell you today, yeah. I, I, I bought clothes for the kids today and they made me <laughs> break a 20 pound note for 5B. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe we're missing the point. Maybe it's like some sort of green thing. Maybe it's some rule that they have to, but it sure as heck feels like nickel and diming. Well, what's, what's nickel and diming in pounds and pence? It sure is like penny pinching is what it feels like. Um, toilet seats are way more fragile over here. <laughs> really? Do explain that, uh -huh. darling. Well, I've managed to crack two of them. No, just one. You just cracked it on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to do things decently in an order. Yeah, well done, darling. Um, it's been great to revisit all the food I forgot that I love. Mm -hmm. I had sweet chili chips with hummus last night. Mm. I've just been consuming chocolate, like... So have I. I'm going to pay. <laughs> I'm going to go home and be like, oh, look at that. I'm up 10 pounds. How'd that happen? Chocolate. <sighs> All right. Well, oh, you know what the other thing is? Mm. You know that thing about we're two countries divided by a common language? Yes. I'm thrown because obviously I was born in Dundee. It's been... But then nobody here would know that. Well, I don't know. I think they don't know it because of my vocabulary rather than because of my accent. No. I'm sorry. You have no accent left. Really? Yes. Compared to people here. <laughs> are you kidding me? I, I I, don't know how many people I just looked at today smiled and nod and then sort of guessed at what they could have been saying possibly. My, my strangest point was I was in Morrison Spencer's in the cafe ordering. I was about to order a tomato basil soup. And then realized they wouldn't know what I was talking about, or they would, but I'd sound like a complete moron. So, but I wasn't, tomato basil sounded so strange. So I was like, could I order a tomato and basil soup, please? <laughs> and I think she looked at me like I had learning difficulties. So that was interesting. Wow. Mrs. Jones, our main topic. Yes. Is we're here because we're effectively saying goodbye to my mom. Doctors have given her a few weeks to live. Medical people say that we know saying are saying she should have been dead by now. But when you visit her, she seems completely fine and she asserts that she's fine. And in many ways, she's beating all the odds because she's in no pain, has no infection, and she hasn't broken any of her bones. Yes, I think she's a confusion to the medical people who look at the facts. But nevertheless, she's dying. And I'm aware that when we go to see her tomorrow and I say goodbye, that's the last time I'm going to see her. Yeah. That's pretty sobering. So what's messed up is my whole family have gathered to say goodbye to my mom. And yet we all sit around like everything's normal. Right. But I'm, I'm not really sure what else she would do. She's telling stories and we're just listening and stuff. Yeah. But it is a bizarre situation it really is bizarre i don't know what to do with any of my feelings yeah i we asked my mom if she wanted to be on the podcast this week because i thought my mom loves to talk and she's got a lot of interesting things to say but she said she didn't want to be 
But then in the next breath, started talking about all the stuff I wanted to ask her about anyway. So I said, Mum, how about I just record what you're saying? And she's like, oh, well, that would be fine. So what you're going to hear next is, we'll set up a few clips here, but basically my mum started talking at lunch today. I just plonked a, a microphone down on the table. So you'll hear real life just being recorded. We're all having lunch together, me and my sisters and AJ and my mum. So you'll hear our kids coming in and out, and we just, we're just throwing questions at my mum. And then, you know, we'll play you the answers that she gave us. And I, it's great because you'll get a real sense for how amazing my mom is and her accent, which you're all going to fall in love with my mom remotely just simply because of her accent. But It's a Welsh accent, by the way. It's not a Scottish accent. Right. The first thing I think of when I think of my mom is being mothered, which you could say, well, duh, she's your mom. But... Like my childhood, especially my early childhood, I, I just remember my mother being this amazingly consistent source of love and affection. And so I asked her, like, Mom, where did you get your approach to mothering? And this is what she said. Um, my mother and father came from a long generation of Methodists, 1834 in the Valleys. And I think in the 50s, there was a very strong moral, you know, children wouldn't <clears throat> steal. And the neighbours would all pitch in if anybody was out of line. And when I went to university to study education and psychology, you have all these theories. And I remember coming back and saying to my mother, oh, this is so confusing. You know, all these theories. And she looked at me, she said, just forget psychology, <laughs> just love them. <laughs> and she said, um, never notice if they are, uh, the carpet is threadbare. They'll notice if their mother's not there. Because, of course, in those days, it was the mother. The father went into work, and it was the mother that bred them. So she had very strong views that you were there for the child, and I never remember a time when she wasn't, you know. I did have a period when I thought I would do other degrees, and I would go down the route of academia, but it was quickly clear the law didn't want me to do that. And I thought, what is the point? I saw all these women that were, you know, got to the top of the tree, but their kids are just adrift. When I was teaching feminism... You know, we did all this research on... When we looked at, like, women at the top had gone through the glass ceiling, they were either unmarried, or they were married, but no children, or they were married, like Mrs Thatcher, with children, but a whole army of supporters. Well, you can only do that if you're wealthy. And then when you looked at all the research, all the research down the years, it's always been the best outcome for children to have two stable parents, male and female, who consistently... That the lifestyle is, you have Family rules, right. but lots of love. What you want, it, what you don't want is lots of rules and no love. That was what the research showed. I mean, from my own experience, that's true. I've seen families that are very cold and very hard, like, um, you know. And the kids don't respond to that. You've just got to love them all the time. Most women, possibly men too. They like children at a certain stage. Like I had a friend... And she said to me, oh, I can't stand children until they're about four and they can actually talk to you. And another one said, oh, I can't stand them when they're babies, you know, that's a pain in the neck. And wow. another one said, oh, teenagers, you know, just Mark Twain says, bury them in a barrel and bring them out with this. But my mother just loved children. And if she got on a train, she'd be surrounded by children. And the same thing happens to me. We were just waiting on a cruise ship to change dates. I had four different people come up, give me their life stories. Dad says, what did you do? I said, I didn't do anything. I just sat and talked. So I think, you know, being a people person, if you like people, 
I'm the same with children. I just love children of all ages. I, I think any mother, you don't say, I love that person because. You love them because they're yours. I mean, there's amazing um, oh, stories of these women, you know, having really disabled children that, and they just no. devote their life to them. Right. With no possible outcome of them being any better than they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's just love. God is love, and I think we made in God's image, we just reflect that. So it's amazing that my mum got her revelation of mothering from her mum, who I never knew. She died about the same time as uh, she died when I was MJ's age. So I never really knew her. But, you know, my mum was just raised knowing that she was wonderful. And she in turn raised us as kids knowing that we're wonderful. And I don't know if you'd agree with this, but my mum is one of the most secure people I know. To the point where she's so clueless. <laughs> she's so unaware of how secure she is that she doesn't realize that other people can be intimidated by that, despite the fact she's the least intimidating person on the planet. Your mother is to mothering what Bill Gates is to Microsoft. Right. You know, and um, I've certainly witnessed that. She's just a remarkable mother, a remarkable grandmother. And all of her all of her kids are have good looking living, oh. living real relationships with the Lord. So she's, I mean, there's obviously a lot your parents have done really, really well. You know, we talk a lot about storge love, you know, love that's communicated through affectionate touch, loving tone of voice and, you know, eye contact. And when I learn about storge love, I realized, oh my gosh, that's all I was bathed in. Like from the moment I had awareness, you know, certainly from my mom, that's all I ever received was this storge love. And I was talking to her about, you know, now being a parent and now having a home, like my experience growing up was our home was always open. Like we had tons of people at our house all the time. Like my mom and dad were taking wasted strays and, you know, she would constantly be feeding people and all my sisters and myself, we never had to ask if anybody could stay for dinner or stay overnight. That was always a possibility. And so I asked her about that. Like, how did you, like, was that deliberate? Is that just the way you are? Like, how did you end up that way? And this is what she said. My mother well, I think probably had a, a little bit of agoraphobia. If I wanted to bring friends home, she'd say, oh, now, um, right, what about two weeks' time? And she would make lemon meringue pie, little cakes. You know, she'd do the whole British afternoon tea. So my attitude was, forget that, you know. They can take what they what they like. I, rem I remember 16 years, frequently on a Sunday lunch. Mm -hmm. And they just get what we had, like we'd have bowls of soup and perhaps apple crumble, you know, but... When we were in New Zealand in the 70s, I read this Roman Catholic book and it said, it, it was a very wise book and I stuck the pages on the <laughs> fridge door for years and it said that you should, all, the house should be always be open, you know, to bring people in and, you know, the mother's the hub of the wheel. And I think today, because women are desperate to be as good or better than men and the pressure is on to work all the time and to get bigger houses, bigger mortgage. <laughs> So, babe, while you were out of the room, um, I think you were managing Mr. McGuggins, um, I asked your mom about family day because I was uh, saying that you still don't really enjoy family days. <laughs> yeah, but how did, because you instituted family days for our family. Is that because I told you about family days in our family or where did you get the idea for having a family day? Like in our family? Um, I think that was because I saw like, 
Aunt Joni and Uncle Paul had one, and Jana and Paul had a family day, like just a day that it was just their family and they did stuff together. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, our family never had anything like that. And from the families that seemed to have it, all seemed to have much healthier relationships. So I decided that that would be a good thing for us to have. <laughs> but it was, you know, it's you, it's your family. It's some other families I saw that all had family day. And Which, I'm sure it looked different for every single family, but and I'm not sure this clip is going to support what you just said, but we'll we'll play it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Alan used to hate. We deliberately used to have this family day on a Saturday, and I just because Ty used to work his socks off, and I say, look, fathers are important in the family. We're going to do something as a family day. He still doesn't like family days, incidentally. I know. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. So <laughs> we go to our broth. We go to the woods. We go to the beach. Barbecues with Bert. And um, see, I never remember having a family day. Ever. You don't. No, I don't either. No. Yeah. You don't I remember making bows and arrows in Templeton Woods. Your no. father showing them. No, no, no. no. Well, they have photographs of us all doing things family together. Days. Do you remember family days? Oh, dear child? God, I hate family days. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't ever remember doing a family day. Oh, you kidding me? They were the bane of my life. I, I don't think I went on them. Go for a family walk. Uh, if it almost <laughs> felt like you were trying to create memories we could look back on and enjoy. <laughs> My first priority was your father because he would sit and study all day. And I used to have this thing that fathers are important. You can't just dump it on the mother. So I said, right, we're going to go out. Don't you remember all the Iron Age forts we climbed up? I got pictures of us no, all in the I snow. I remember one. I said, right, we're going up the... I hate to tell you this, but as a, as a planned family unit, it failed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember any of those. I remember going, I've got pictures of all these, you know. Where I remember, I remember them, I hate Was them. I there? Well, you, you must have been, we had for snap. walks down Inverkelly, Brody Ferry. I've got a picture there of you. There was just these you, contrived you times where we were forced to spend time together, and Dad hated it because he'd rather be studying. <laughs> Mom tried to be jovial. None of us were interested in it, and none of us were at the age where we wanted to be together. Well, you know, you want to spend your Saturday with your friends, and we're like... Yeah. Yeah, well, sometimes I believe you know, doing what you don't want to do is good for you. That was most of my childhood. <laughs> so, at least I've been consistent for 40 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> hated them then. Well, it's not that I hate them now. I think, I, I think I've probably just been programmed not to like them. I do enjoy spending time with our family. You like them much better on Valium. <laughs> <laughs> I like a lot of things more on Valium. Wait, we did explain why I'm on Valium, right? Yes. Okay, so they know it's not recreational. Right. Um, I'm not sure you can take Valium recreationally, can you? Well, I'm pretty sure that's what people do legally. Oh, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know how my mum got saved, so I asked her this question. Well, I got saved when I was 15. But of course, I knew everything because I'd come from the Methodist. And then my friend said to me, do you want to come to the gospel hall? And my mother said, you're not going there. They're too religious. They don't drink. They don't smoke. They don't go to dances. They don't go to the picture hall. <laughs> I thought to myself, I must do something. Anyway, in the meantime, my friend who had invited me, her father had a heart attack and he died. Somebody had said to her mother, I'm so sorry to hear of your loss, Mrs. Morgan. And she said, the Lord must have needed it more than me. And she was bringing up three little girls. And my mother said, oh, if you can get faith like that, go. Probably <laughs> thrown in the gospel hall. Whereas before she'd been very <coughs> reluctant. Of course, when you go to the gospel hall, as Gary would tell you, you'd learn a Bible verse. And all these kids would stand up and say, is he killed such and such a chit? And they'd come out with it and I think, oh. <laughs> So it was a very much, 
If you don't trust in the Lord, you're going to hell. Right. It was nothing. <laughs> you know, as the Methodists were quite refined and sort of, you did quite well. But no, the Gospel of Holy was, pff, it didn't put a foot about, you know. Choose you this day who you will serve. Yeah. So, of course, <coughs> oh, it's terrible because in the school we had this Pentecostal brother. He was the head boy. And he used to come in <laughs> and he would be thumping us with the gospel on the side. On Sunday, you'd begin the gospel. And in the end, I thought, can I go for this? I'll just ask the Lord into my life and see. <laughs> I said, Lord, I don't really know if you're there, but if you are, I'd like to be a Christian. <laughs> and to mark it, I'll read a chapter of the Bible every day. So I started Genesis, and the time I got to university, I was nearly to the end of Revelation. But, you know, plodding through, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, so-and-so begat, so <laughs> But that was my bargain, and I got baptised by immersion. It's amazing to me that she'd been in church all her life, and yeah, it wasn't until she was 15 that she understood the message of salvation. It's quite similar to you, really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I hadn't been in church every single Sunday, but I'd been in church a lot. I sang in the choir. I was part of a drama team. I still had no idea the whole thing was about Jesus and the whole thing was about love. No idea until I was 15. I wow. missed it. I didn't realize until speaking to my mum, and well, of course I realized. I just don't think I'd ever spent time thinking about it. But speaking to my mum today, I didn't realize that they, my mum and dad, have been in the same church for forty-three years. It's longer than I've been alive. Um, and so when you think of the dedication and faithfulness that's required for that, I just asked my mum about that. Because I got people who are friends now, and they they've left so many churches. You know, not for their fault, but because the doctrine has gone so bad, especially with this um, Church of Scotland promoting same-sex marriage ministers, etc. And I thought, to be in your 70s and have to find yet another church, you know, it must be awful. I've been grateful that I've been uh, in one place. And one brother, four weeks ago, said, his sermon at night was, we've been in Lockheed for over 40 years, what have we done? I thought that poor boy is going to rue this because every week I've put up posts. Yeah. Today was the camps, um, mothers and toddlers, students over 102, just in my visitors' book that have come through. You no know, forest, you know, um, children's work, holiday clubs, girls' clubs, boys' clubs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the first time I went to the meeting in Aberystwyth, your father spoke, and he spoke on Mary. Uh, and how she was criticised because she'd bought the alabaster box. And the, uh, you know, the point was she had done what she could. Mm-hmm. So that always stayed with me. Because your father was a terrific preacher most days. You know what's amazing, babe, is if you go on Facebook, if you, you follow my mum, don't you, on Facebook? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So right now you're seeing everybody from kind of all over the world really coming out of the woodwork and saying, Lana, this is what you did for me. You know, hey, you might not remember me, but you did this and you did that. And I think it's amazing because my mum and dad, you know, like I said, for 43 years have been doing the same thing over and over again, week by week at church. And I'm sure at times I've been discouraged going, what are we doing? And yet now to see this legacy that my mum has really been a part of, you know, certainly within our family, you know, she's influenced you know, me and my three sisters, and we've influenced our kids. But even when they've come over and visited us, you know, she had a huge influence with Jess when Jess was living with us yeah. and, you know, the Ratliffs and whatever. I mean, it's just, 
you can't help but fall in love with her and be impacted by just how well she loves others. Yeah, and so even in death, you know, watching her impact people is just incredible. And so we, you know, we asked her about the whole dying thing. And it was quite eye-opening what she said. I've always felt that you've only got the next 24 hours. I mean, that's not the bother me at all. But we're all dying, love. It's all the sinner, they shall die. We're dying every day. I don't, I don't see this as a big... Do you know, since I had this diagnosis last year, was it January the December, the Christmas number Eve. of people that have died in the... I opened the paper every day in Curry. It was a 29-year-old, his, his grit lorry turned over on him last week. And I think, that lad... He, he, 29. Mm, that's life, yeah. And six young men were killed last week, and you think, you know. But I don't think I'm dying. You know, I think, oh, we'll do this next week, and we'll do that next week. And I keep saying, Dad, he's obviously got the wrong person. <laughs> refuse to believe it. Right. So it doesn't, you know, and when I was a... a yeah, but you say that, yeah, at the same time you've planned your own funeral. Well, yeah, it's a girl guide. <laughs> <laughs> so, but how do you live in that tension of... I, there's no tension. I just think yeah, I like to be organised. And... <laughs> and so there you go. That's my mum in one soundbite right there. Uh, she's planned her own funeral, but she is not thinking about dying. She is a walking, living paradox. <laughs> she's awesome. <laughs> Lastly, as someone who's seen her fair share of dysfunction, I asked her, how do you avoid dysfunction? This is what she said. Key to avoiding dysfunction in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, as a Christian... Read your Bible and put it into practice, but I think on a general human level, just if you bring enough children, you just got to give them a stable home and lots of love, and be there for them. The most important thing you can give a child is time. Well, babe, our first ever podcast from Scotland. Scotland, land of the brave. Please stop. <laughs> um, we've loved being in Scotland. I'm just. You know, under the circumstances. I was going to say, I'm sad I haven't got to see more of my friends, but that's not really why we came. And so apologies to everybody who knows me in Scotland and I didn't get to see you. Um, we were just run off our feet, really, trying to be with my family and placate our kids when we weren't with our family. Please pray for us if you think about us. We fly back to Nashville on Tuesday. Apparently you're all getting hit by snow, so hopefully that doesn't interrupt our travel plans. But nevertheless, traveling with three small children is not my idea of fun. So please pray that I get upgraded to first class and AJ can be with the kids in economy. I'd <laughs> no, appreciate no, don't that. Don't pray that. Mm-mm. I'm too late. Oh, no. no so. I decree the thing. No, I undecree a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what this podcast really has been missing? Bagpipes. We're, we're you know, we're filming in Scotland and uh, we're recording in Scotland. Well, baby, we still got. Bagpipes. We still have another day. Maybe there'll be bagpipes tomorrow that you can record on Instagram. Is that we can just start stepping on things until the air comes out of them and they go. <laughs> People of Scotland, forgive my wife. <laughs> we love you guys. Thank you for all your prayers. We've totally felt loved this week. We really appreciate the texts and the tweets and the Instagram love. And uh, Nashville, we look forward to being back in sunnier climates and collecting a week's worth of hugs from everybody. We love you guys. Yes. Bye.